my dad, Peter John Corson. I was listening to that just now and I was reminded. Good morning. This is Peter John. You're listening to Rogue Grace on this Monday. And uh, that's my daughter, Sadie. I remember <clears throat> some years ago now, we were me, Sadie, and her sister, Bailey, and my wife, Amanda, their mom. We were hanging at Disneyland. And we were having a great time until the end. That's the way it usually works there with little kids. In this case, the reason why it was great until the end was because there at the end, we lost Sadie. I mean, we really lost her. They're in downtown Disney where you go shopping, right? We're going through downtown Disney and we lose her. And so, you know, we're looking for Sadie around downtown Disney. And you know how that is if you ever lost a kid. <laughs> Which if you had kids, you probably have at some point. Uh, it feels like every minute feels like a thousand years, right? So I don't know how long she was lost for, but it seemed like at least 150 years. So we're looking around, going through the huge Disney store there, and, I, you know, trying to figure things out with our cell phones and, and uh, thinking about alerting the security team there at Disney what's going on. It's a bad feeling. You know that feeling most likely if you've had more than one kid. Maybe if you've just had one kid even. <laughs> and so somehow I finally stumbled across Sadie. And she was all teary-eyed because she had finally figured out that she was lost. She had been on her own. You know, and the reason, real reason, I think she was teary-eyed because she knew she was going to get in big trouble. Wandering off after we told them not to. Right? Disobeying our orders. Look what happens, right? I'm a young dad. She's a young little daughter of mine. She's in big trouble, right? So she starts crying. And I said, Sadie, don't cry. You're... You're, you're, you're found. We got you. It's okay. And she says to me, I'm crying because I know I'm busted. And I said to her, I'm not angry that you were lost. I'm just so glad that you're found. Right? You've been there as a parent? I'm not ticked angry, upset with you for getting lost because I am just so glad, so relieved, so thankful that you're found. And the Father in heaven, we often might think, oh, he must be irritated with me. He must be looking at me with a bit of 
consternation or he is feeling a bit as though things are on the wrong track. And I am not giving him joy or bringing a smile to his face. You might subtly begin to feel that. But the thing is, is maybe in many of the same ways that I said to my daughter, I'm not upset that you were lost. I'm just glad that you're found. I think if I read my Bible, if I find the proper context to the nature and the character of our Heavenly Father, he says something along the lines of the same thing. Oh God, you must be upset that I did this and I did that before I was a Christian. I did this and I did that. No. I'm not upset when you are lost. I'm just glad that you are found. There's a great little story in Zechariah in the Old Testament. You, you might be very familiar with it. It's the story of Joshua, not Joshua the general of Israel, Joshua the high priest, a different Joshua who lived some 500 years after that Joshua. But he's the high priest in, of Israel, of Judah, in the time of Zechariah. And Zechariah is having this revelation that comes from God, and he writes... In chapter 3, Then God showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right side to accuse him. <laughs> oh yeah. Satan. He's on your right side. You know the right side, the right hand? That's the place you can depend on, you can count on. Satan's there. You can count on him. You can depend on him to accuse you, to condemn you. Right? And the Lord said to Satan, chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then he said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord gave his charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among those standing here. So, Joshua, as we just read, 
man, he was a discouraged priest. You see, the people of Israel, or particularly of Judah at that time, and Israel as they were coming back from their captivity in Babylon, were not continuing the building of the temple. And so Joshua, this high priest, is discouraged because how could he justify himself as leading the temple project when it wasn't going anywhere? So Zechariah, this prophet, says, Lord, do something. And God's solution was the angel of the Lord said, bring me a new garment. And he cleansed and he clothed and he crowned this discouraged high priest, Joshua. He crowned him, clothed him in white linen, and they rebuild the temple. See, that's the way the devil takes you out. Me too. He wants you to stop building. He wants you to stop going forward. He wants you to stop feeling as though you can and are going to do the work of God's kingdom. He wants you to to feel dirty like Joshua did with that that robe he had on that was dirty. That's how he takes you out. The scheme of the devil is unforgiveness. Remember there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul encourages the people. He challenges the people. He says to them, do not be swallowed up by the devil. That word swallowed is the same word as devoured in First Peter when he says that Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Swallowed up in guilt swallowed up in shame and condemnation. That is the devil's tactic. Again, the scheme of the devil is unforgiveness. So how do you defeat him? By receiving grace. By giving grace. The best thing you can do is ignore him. Ignore his worst insults. Because... Well, as you ladies know, you ignore someone long enough and they will finally go away. (laughs) You know how that goes. You ignore someone long enough and they will go away. Just ignore him. Keep on walking steadfast in the faith. And he will go away. Just as he does here for Joshua.
Talk about going out of your way to avoid a group of people or a certain community. That was the trek that people took from Jerusalem to Galilee. See, the journey from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, to Galilee, where, of course, Jesus was raised, where he was from, the track was about three days' journey. But if you wanted to avoid the Samaritans, it took twice as long. The trek that these Orthodox Jews would take was six days so that they could go around the Samaritan community. And if for some reason someone had to go through Samaria, just for some reason there's some kind of logistical or legal reason they had to go through, well, they would live by B-Y-O-D. Bring your own dish, the rabbis taught. Your own plate, your own utensils. Do not use the dish of a Samaritan. Now, I don't know how much that goes into when Jesus sent away his 12 disciples to get lunch. <laughs> Remember that story in John 4? I, the, to say at least it was um, an interesting scenario where if you're a practicing Jew, you don't go through Samaria. Well, they were going through it. So the rabbis taught, then bring your own dish. And now he's sending them to get something to eat. And as you know, these disciples were not even anywhere close to being comfortable with assimilating with the Samaritan people. So they're off trying to get some food somehow, some way. They're in John chapter 4. I like how Jesus sent them off. I wonder if they were driving him nuts. He needed a break. I don't know. And so he's sitting there, you know the story, at the well there in Samaria. And here comes the woman. We never got her name. She comes in the heat of the day. And Jesus, in many ways, asks, So how's your husband? And at first glance, maybe she was giggling a bit. I don't know. I wonder if there was a pause. Because when Jesus is talking to her about living water, she says, I want this living water. She wanted this running water. And at first glance, it seems to be a non sequitur, doesn't it? How is living water and her husband linked? But what Jesus was doing when he said, go get your husband, when he's talking about her husband, was identifying her true thirst. 
There's her physical thirst. There's her emotional thirst. And then there's her spiritual thirst. Of course, as you know, the physical thirst has to do with our body's consciousness of the world, of needing to drink, right? Of course. The emotional thirst is our soul's consciousness of ourselves. The spiritual thirst is our spirit giving us the consciousness of God. He alone can meet that spiritual thirst. That is why the Bible says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Yeah, we were pumping blood and breathing air, but our spirit was dead. We were thirsty. And in many ways, of course, this young lady, if she was young even, this woman at the well was going from man to man to man because she was thirsty. She threw herself into one relationship after another. No, you've been in a relationship, right? Either you're dating or you're married or you're single and you've been in a relationship. You're thinking, okay, maybe this time I found the one. Maybe this is the person. And in all of those relationships she was in, the five husbands she had before, five, man, that's not a good track record. The sixth dude she was shacked up with. And all of these things, she threw herself into these relationships one after another, thinking maybe this time she was thirsty. And Jesus has what she's looking for because, well, in Jeremiah chapter 2, God reprimands his people prophetically through the words of the man, Jeremiah, saying, why have you forsaken the spring of living waters and dug for yourself cracked cisterns, literally, that does not hold water? Cracked cisterns. It doesn't hold water. It gives the appearance, the impression, maybe the, the first experience, but it doesn't remain. And so to in anything other than him, they are cracked cisterns. He alone holds living water. And in that conversation, Jesus is sharing with that woman at the well. First, we see worship. He says, there's coming a day when it will not matter whether you worship in Jerusalem as the Jews esteem or Mount Gerizim where you Samaritans esteem. No, there will be no temple, Jesus is implying. You will worship in spirit and in truth. Praise the Lord. Cool. And then you will share. She shares. She worships. She shares. I found the man. I have the cure. And the entire town realized what she was saying was valid and comes out 
to see this Jesus of Nazareth. And then she leaves. She goes back into her community, back into her life, but she is now healed. She is no longer thirsty because she knows where to go to meet that deepest thirst. The devil knows is the deepest root. He uses it most of the time because it goes undetected, doesn't it? It's the deepest root. Because things like fear, he uses that. Stress, he uses that. But those things you can identify. But condemnation is more subtle. You know? For example, why don't my kids talk to me more? Or why don't you help around the house more? 
Why don't you come to more church meetings? He's so subtle, he hisses those things. Now he uses condemnation. He's not going to change his tactic. He has no other weapon since the beginning. He, he doesn't have this evolving weaponry. Nope, same thing. And you need to know that your sins are forgiven. Now, remember that guy there in the Gospel of Mark? That there in Mark 1, they lowered him through the roof to get to Jesus there in Capernaum. And they lower this guy. They can't even fit into the house. It's so jammed that they make a way through the roof. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Through the, the uh, mold and the clay and the straw, whatever the, the roof consisted of, they break it up and lower him down. And the first thing Jesus says to that guy was not take up your bed and walk. Remember? The first thing Jesus said to him was, your sin is forgiven. Wait a minute. This guy needed healing. And these friends must have thought, we didn't go to all this effort, climbing up the roof, tearing it away, lowering him down, just to hear that his sins are forgiven. But then Jesus says, now rise, take up your bed and walk. See, he needed the assurance his sin was forgiven, that he was not condemned in order to walk. And if I'm going to walk through this day, I need that same assurance. So do you, oh Lord, that my sins are forgiven that I am not condemned, the more that that will sink into my soul, the more free I will be to get up and walk. See? The strength of sin is condemnation. But when you feel you don't feel condemned, you end up walking in the holiness of God and loving the people of God as a Christian, you do. As a Christian, not feeling condemned. You know, sometimes I've over the years I've heard these preachers, you know, on the air or whatever, and they're so angry. It's almost like they think God is angry with them, condemning them, and they are angry with the people. Because the people are not as uptight. Because the people are having fun. They're having too much fun. But the fact is, it is fun to be in the joy and life and love of Jesus when you know that he does not condemn you. In fact, when you know your sins are forgiven. That's what gets me up off the bed that's what gets me up off the ground. Remembering my sins are forgiven. Raise the roof, Pops. Come on. You're going to come in. My dad just walked by and he's raising the roof because they took the roof off the top of the building. Is that what it is? I got it. <laughs> I got it. 
Oh, that's my dad, Pops, Pastor John Corson. Oh, the Lord is good. When I remember, when I remember that I am not condemned, I can take up my bed and walk.
daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, perhaps, that that's the only place in the gospel that Jesus ever said daughter. As in saying to her simply, your daughter. Not a daughter of Abraham, just daughter. This woman who the book of Leviticus says could not come into that public place. She could be stoned to death for doing so because she is unclean with that issue of blood. And yet she still goes into that very crowded place, quote unquote, breaking the law to come near to Jesus. She broke the law in many ways in her faith. And Jesus turned to her and said, not your obedience has made you well, (laughs) right? She wasn't obeying, but your faith has made you well. See, he's not saying, and I'm not saying, and certainly he's not saying, now go ahead and break the law. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what he's saying. That's stupid. Go ahead and hurt yourself. Go ahead and hurt your family. Go ahead and hurt people. No problem. No, that's stupid. That is stupid. What is being said is if you do sin, there is grace through faith. Right? Think about the leper. When Jesus is coming down from the mountain with multitudes of people, based on the law, the leopard had to yell unclean in the crowd. He was Supposed to yell, unclean. Can you imagine being in a marketplace? You know, you're shopping for your groceries and you hear that. Unclean. As you're shopping for your groceries. Well, this this leper in the story of Jesus came in by stealth. He broke the law. Yeah. Did he break the law? Yes. Did he get healed? Yes. Why? Because the righteousness of God is there. Because under the law, if the leper is unclean, teaches you who touches, pardon me, you who are clean, you catch what he has. But instead, he touches Jesus and catches what Jesus has, the healing and the righteousness of God. I'm saying all that to point out, look at this woman who is bleeding, right? Jesus didn't say to her, your obedience has made you well, but your faith has made you well. That's good news for a lot of us. It's not your track record that makes you well. It's not your religiosity that makes you well. It is your faith that makes you well. We'll be right back.
go just say amen as paul the apostle told us to do i remember when a while back i was talking with my kids i think something like the dinner table and one of my little daughters she was i don't know maybe three or four years old at the time We were talking about our favorite books in the Bible. And she says, I have my favorite book. And I said, oh, really? What is it? She said, the gospel. 
I said, well, that's really great, honey. Me too. Now there's four gospels. Which one is your favorite? She said the gospel of Mary Poppins. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let me, I had to think about that. Let me work with that. I had to figure out how the story of Mary Poppins can actually be spiritualized. (laughs) Oh, the gospel. So powerful. The good news. Aren't you glad that we've been given not the law, but the gospel to bring us into righteousness, to give us the healing we need? to cause us to be whole and to have eternal salvation? Aren't you glad for the gospel? Not the fake gospel, not the pretty good news, not the you do your part and God will do his part. I mean the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures and rose again, that it is his righteousness by which now we are saved. Aren't you glad for the gospel that God sees you not fairly good or making progress, but perfect, finished. Father, you are so good. Your gospel is so wonderful. I praise you for your son, Father. I praise you for the gospel and for all who are listening this morning. I praise you that they're hearing the gospel, that it's not by might nor by power, but by your strength, your work, the finished work Lord, that is how we are saved both forever and right now to the praise and the glory of your name, Lord God. Amen and amen. You can always, if you want, get these on the podcasts for Rogue Grace there on iTunes. You're more than welcome to. Also, we're just about to kick off our new website, so I'll give you more info on that. Menyana tomorrow. Come on out tonight. My bro Ben, bringing forth the gospel. And we're going to worship the Lord and take communion. The invite is now given to you. God bless.